to Ballard Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest on the mall, BFD. Hey, man, how's it going? Oh, man, and also the most stressed one. So I know that um, I'm supposed to be responding to some people, S for T, for example, so I'm going to try to do a little bit of that tonight. So sorry, I'm not ignoring y'all for any reason other than I'm working, like, I worked almost 100 hours last week, and I'm well on that pace already this week, so me tired. I don't know how many hours in a week. I'm guessing there's... 48 168 hours in a week okay gotcha that's a lot that's a lot of hours in a week to work yeah it's been basically eight o'clock to in the morning to 11 o'clock every day yeah well there's a there's a light in the tunnel some someday i don't know where it is it's up there somewhere yeah i'm self-employed i gotta i gotta shake the money maker when i can yeah yeah well uh i it's a shame that johnny manzel doesn't play for cleveland because it would have been a very easy segue, but I'm not a professional radio man. I'm not professional at anything at all whatsoever, really. But did you know that the Houston Texans are 9-3 and three, and they are one of the best teams in football history? <laughs> hey, they won nine in a row. Show me another team that's done that before. Wow. And what's really funny is, is if you look at the context of it, we have played a one of the worst schedules. I mean, we played, I think, the easiest – our second easiest schedule by DVOA so far this year, and I think we played the second, second easiest on the way out. I don't know who's even worse. It's just things I've seen on the interwebs that tell me that. But the thing is, the team is like 11th in DVOA. I mean, at this point, we're just outperforming our uh, uh, Pythagorean uh, estimate, and we play weak teams who can't throw the ball, and then – you know, in the first half this weekend, Johnny Man, or Johnny Man, you made me do it. Damn it. <laughs> uh, Baker Mayfield went full Nathan Peters, Peterman in the first half. Yeah. So, you know, that's a lot of gifts for the offensive score 22 points. Yeah. Yeah. I hear Houston's 27th and the hardest, they played the 27th toughest schedule so far this year. And it's not even, I think that, like, I've seen a lot of numbers go around there. This new stat called Strength of Victory which I guess is the average winning record of the opponent you played. And also the whole idea that using the opponent's win percentage is a good way to estimate schedule strength isn't a very good way to do it at all because we see every year how um, how win-loss record can be kind of misconstrued based off luck and different performance factors and different variables. And so going by the DVOA rankings is probably the best way to go about it. And you since played the 27th easiest one. And like they haven't played a, a great team during that time. And, and even then, like, they played some solid teams, I guess. But the biggest thing is they just have played teams that align perfectly with their strengths where they have a really good run defense and they play teams with how to run the ball. And it doesn't – even if they're, like, a team that's fifth in DVOA, like Denver is right now, uh, that still team has to run the ball. And whenever you get to run the ball against Houston Texans, you're going to lose. And there's really, like, nothing else you can really do about it. Except, you know, have Vance Joseph be a complete idiot and – settle for like a 58-yard field goal. But other than that, you know, you're, you're going to lose to the Texans unless you make that kick. Yeah, and again, you know, it goes back to we won two of those games, two games in a row on, you know, missed field goals late. It's a lucky team, 
It's got a, a very, very good defense. And one thing I noticed when the new DVOA uh, rankings came out is the defense is now uh, – it's offense. Uh, defense is now six. We dropped two spots. Yeah. This week against Cleveland. And I think because, you know, Baker Mayfield had a pretty decent second half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, I mean, even with DVOA this year, I'm kind of having – I guess I've kind of realized some more of the flaws of it this year uh, just by watching Houston and the other teams where – just the adjustment factors I don't think are strong enough for uh, some of these examples, just how bad the passing offenses are and how Houston's been propped up by you know, the bad passing offense they face. And maybe they should wait a little bit more where they wait passing more than running because of the efficiency and the effectiveness of it. Like I know Denver has a top 10 offense, even if they're 24th in passing offense DVOA, just because of how good they're, they have a top three run offense. But again, they can barely even score 20 points a game because it's hard to score more than 20 points a game when you're forced to run the ball 35 times. Yeah, and, and once again, putting everything in context, if we go back and look at who we've played, uh, we have played, uh, as far as the bottom 12 teams, by passing DVOA, uh, it's, we've played Denver, Miami, Tennessee twice, uh, San Francisco. we played San Francisco this year, right? Golly. No, no. No, that was – no, I'm wrong. Okay. Uh, Cleveland, Dallas, Washington, Jacksonville twice. We played the Jets coming up, and we played Buffalo. So we our, our schedule is nothing but teams that can't throw the ball down the field. And even Philadelphia is 19th. I mean, we don't play a single team aside from New England, who we've already lost to, that, that throws the ball down the field. Indi- uh, Indianapolis is next at um, – 15th wow that's just crazy yeah and I, I mean the best passing offense they're going to play is new england's and then indies and indies is okay i think it's been super propped up by the touchdowns that that luck has thrown but like luck's not really throwing the ball downfield a whole lot and so even then it's not as good as it probably will be you know, next year uh, now that luck will have like a full off season to get that arm even stronger after being able to throw football for you know the 13 months entering it and his bicep was just like a chunk of veal going into the season this year. Yeah, and, you know, we, we saw that when we played him, is that he just could not push the ball downfield with any sort of authority. And, and mm-hmm. you've got to do that. You know, Case, Keen, Case Keenum got away last year with throwing hot air balloons for completions, but you can't do that successfully year in, year out. Yeah. So, uh, power rankings. Where would you place Houston in the entire league right now? Okay, so once again, I'm going to go back to – to DVOA, and I'm going to tell you who I think they're behind. And I think they're behind KC, the Rams, the Chargers, the Saints, skipping Denver. We beat Denver. We deserve that that notch. Pittsburgh, Chicago, New England, Baltimore, Seattle, Houston. We're better than Green Bay. Maybe we'll see what happens with Mike McCarthy being gone. But uh, And Minnesota, I think, is better than Houston. So I think that we're about the 11th or 12th best team in the NFL, Matt. Okay. Yeah, I would say New Orleans, Los Angeles, Kansas City, New England, the Chargers, Chicago, Pittsburgh. Then I would tie them with Seattle uh, just because the run defense is so super good. Yeah. And, like, the offense is better. It's been better. Uh, I still think, like, there's a huge level it could get up to if they start calling the offense a little bit differently. If they do it or not, I have no idea. But I think they're probably, like, the, the ninth best team in football or so. I guess the reason I brought this up is I saw power rankings come out today and everybody has Houston because they won this week 
and the Steelers lost last week and the Bears lost this week. They just put them up to like six, you know, because that's all you do if you're, if you're a, ride, a professional football writer is you just – you have to write power rankings articles you don't want to write. You just say, okay, who lost last week, who won, and now we'll just flip those teams up and down and do that for the entire year and, you know, somehow get paid to do it. You're right. And once again, those sorts of things are so context-free. I mean, if you look at who yeah. you know, Kansas City's played and who we play, it's a pretty, you know, emphatic difference between the two. So context, everything's context, I think. You know, we, we try to talk within context here on the show often, and I think we do a good job of it. Yeah, and it's and that context is probably the most important thing about football stats uh, is that, you know, you just look at yards, and just because you do something a lot, it doesn't mean you're good at it. And that's where I think a lot of that comes from. And also, speaking of writing, I don't even – like, it's been weird this year as a football fan. I don't read a lot of football writing during the year, but now nobody even, even writes anything at all anymore. Everything is just tweet threads. Like, nobody writes film room articles. Nobody gives me any, any good analysis to learn from. It's just people watching all 22 and hunting stuff down. Like, uh, oh, look at this great block right here. Wow, look at this great catch right here. And it's just that over and over again. And I'm sad. I miss, I miss reading – a good football writing uh, that I used to read about football that, you know, really doesn't happen that much anymore. And it bums me out. I think we're going to revert to it at some point. I think we saw that this starting to happen a couple of years ago when people were putting out, putting out like three second clips and calling it film study. Mm-hmm. And, and what a freaking joke that was. It's like, no, that's not film study. And I think at some point people like you and I are going to start demanding, Hey, we want to see actual film study showing me this three second play ain't, ain't doing it for me. Yeah. It's just, I don't, it's just like a, just a bunch of different scenes, you know, and they're all unconnected. It doesn't mean anything. And uh, it's just, su- it's just a super easy way to go about it and then get social media attention, which, but like, it just doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't mean anything. And it just sucks. And I haven't, I don't think I've read like one football article this year that I've really particularly enjoyed. Everything is just kind of just tweets and jokes and, and uh, tweet streams of little seven second clips, that sort of thing. Well, and a shout out to Brett Coleman for the job he does with the work he puts out because he does put out real work. So, I just don't like videos. I'll, I watch some of his stuff. I just don't like videos. I liked him when Brett used to write. But Brett doesn't write anymore. So he's part of the problem too. He needs to write. So, so let's trash him on the listserv. Yeah, write something. <laughs> uh, I, I really, and also speaking of which, I really hope, hope he loses to you in fantasy football because I want to beat the champion <laughs> next weekend. Well, I want to. I want to walk out of the desert with a new jacket waiting for me at my house. God, this might fit you. It wears like a dress on me. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. And even if it's like, even if it's too small, I'll I'll just starve myself for three weeks and eat my fingers and look like Christian <laughs> if I have to. That's how bad I want this jacket. Well, at least Samantha didn't wear it first because if she would have worn it, it would have fit like a bra on everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> So the Texans went up 23-0 in this game, and that was in the first half. And they played, like, their first dominant football game since they slaughtered an entire single of Dolphins on Thursday Night Football. And the first half was pretty stupid from Cleveland. They tried to run the ball to Nick Chubb. They tried to get pressure on their front four. They tried to attack Houston with short passes to get Baker Mayfield in some uh, DDR rhythm, I guess, is what they were trying to do. They get the entire middle of the field and allowed Houston to throw a lot of dump ball passes and Watson run for first downs. And you know what? None of it worked. Just how it's been all year long. All these things that you try to do against Houston don't really work very well. Uh, so what part of Cleveland's first half game plan was the dumbest? It was really the defense. I just don't know what Greg Williams was thinking. I mean, 
I get it. Miles Garrett's a heck of a player, and Greg Williams had to be behind that defensive scheme. So, you know. Well, he does his blitz, too. Oh, he does his blitz. I mean, that was the most disconcerting thing. It's like, Greg Williams, you know, we're going to put a bounty out in Deshaun Watson's good knee type guy, I, if you can't tell. For anybody who doesn't know me, I hate Greg Williams with a passion. But that's Greg Williams and blitzing everybody. That's what all he did with the Saints was just send eight guys, you know, let's go into zero coverage. Oh, they got five going out. Do what? Create 42 turnovers in a season and then, like, just, like, get three lucky stops, and that's all you need to win with Drew Brees. That's how that year was. Right, right. So, that, yeah, the defensive game plan to me was just befuddling at best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, the first half, they didn't get really any pressure at all. The one big bit of pressure they got was Miles Garrett uh, beating Julian Davenport. And that was such a nasty long arm where he long arms the opposite in himself and then just pull and then kind of crosses over and yanks Watson down the pocket from behind. And like, it's kind of weird that that's not a horse collar tackle, but I guess because the quarterback stationary, it isn't. And it kind of gives the, the defensive ends at least one way to make a sack as they're kind of coming back around. And if they got, if they made that a penalty, I think it would limit the number of, uh, strip sacks you see the pockets kind of guys run past the quarterback and stick their arm out so I'm okay with it but uh yeah that was a diabolical pass rush but other than that Houston really protected and stopped their front four rush and Cleveland really didn't get a whole lot going at all yeah and they did the one thing you can't allow yourself to do and that's give Deshaun Watson time to eyeball the downfield to make throws and that's what he did in the first half. He was able to have the time to do that. And it's just, God, it's just so stupid. Why don't people listen to us more, Big Matt? I mean, like, I, I really do think we can make a subcontracting company or, like, a consultant firm where they would just call us ahead and whenever they play the Texans and they go, all right, well, we need to know how to beat the Texans. Can you help us out? They, oh, I would love to. I would love to. Uh, here's, the, here's the work order number. Uh, I'm going to charge you $100 an hour. I'll work four hours a night. And – uh, you're going to beat the Texans this week because it really – it doesn't seem that difficult. There just hasn't been a team that really has uh, has gone for it. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on as well too. The the one thing that kind of – my favorite thing about this first half though from Houston's offense was that fade route to DeAndre Hopkins where he just got like punched in the mouth by T.J. Carey, uh, got hit in the head with the sack of quarters, got pantsed. Uh, every single thing that you could do to him, he did to him. Turn off the lights and blindfold him and leave him in a field. Uh, like some fraternity hazing even. And he catches this pass, this you know, nice little looping pass on the sideline. And the thing that uh, kind of weirded me out about it was that I just don't see a whole lot of that happen on Houston's offense, you know. Like whenever Watson was drafted, and I went back, you know, I watched all the film from whenever he was at Clemson ahead of the draft, even though I didn't think Houston was even taking a quarterback that year. After he was drafted, like, that's all I imagined. It's like, oh, it's going to be so cool to see. It's going to be a lot of Deshaun Watson throwing these really pretty fade routes to DeAndre Hopkins. He's going to catch them. It's going to be a lot of fun. But we really haven't seen that route a whole lot, uh, even since Watson's come into the league. So yeah, that was really cool to see. I was glad to finally see one of those. Have you noticed the same thing, too, since Watson's come into the league? Yeah, and we've talked about it on the show before, too, is that you know Bill O'Brien just doesn't believe in throwing the fade route, even if he got one of the best catchers of it in the NFL. It's just not part of his playbook and I mean even think that passed just because of the mugging that was going on I'm not sure if it was a true fade route I guess it kind of was in that direction yeah but it was also just kind of the way the whole play just kind of panned out it's just like oh that's what it looks like now but that I'm so glad you mentioned that play because here's what I hope I hope that Watson has learned that look 
Just throw it up there. <laughs> throw it up. It's Dondre freaking Hopkins. The guy has zero drops this year for a freaking reason. I mean, yeah. I just it's it's just he's amazing to, for me to watch. I mean, I just imagine Dondre Hopkins for funds goes out and just tears off the tops of fire hydrants just for a good time, just because he's so his hands are so damn strong. Or just like jumps in the air and grabs pigeons right above him, things like that. He bites their heads off and throws their heads at orphan children, you know. <laughs> And the ones who were naughty this year, that's what he does because he's a real Christmas warrior. But with, <laughs> but yeah, I don't understand why they don't throw that enough as well too. Cause like it's there and like Brandon Weeding can throw that route. TJ Yates could throw that route to him. Uh, Brian Hoyer could even throw that route to him every once in a while. So like even bad quarterbacks have been able to, I just want to see more of it. And it's just like super fun to watch Hopkins make these like, uh, these just posterization catches over smaller defensive backs who are grabbing him and chasing him and pulling his hair, and it still doesn't matter. I just want to see more of it from an aesthetic purpose. And I'm from a I hope the Texans win sort of purpose. Yeah, because it's beautiful. I mean, that catch over carry was just. And sometimes in football there is art, and I've always said, man, give me give me a guard pulling out and and setting the edge on getting on the outside sh- shoulder and setting the edge. That's art to me. And DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins catch like that is just art to me. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of about like all sports in general too. There's, there's beauty in it along with the raw, raw, and uh, So I, I think the kind of dumbest thing that Cleveland did, well, it's not everything I mentioned as well too, but my least favorite thing they did was run the ball and make Chubb a lot to start the game because they, they punted pretty quickly and they punted because they did that run, run, uh, third down shotgun pass from offense. So this week, and don't run the ball at the Houston Texans, Nick Chubb, nine carries, 31 yards. That's it. Nobody else carried the ball. Baker Mayfield didn't come, carry the ball. That's it, nine carries for 31 yards. Don't run the ball at Houston. They're the best run defensive football. The New Orleans Saints are, are not the best run defensive football. The Houston Texans are. Stop running the ball directly at them. If you're going to run the ball at Houston, it needs to be – plays outside the tackles where you can kind of pin back while I'm clowning, kind of push him down inside. Or it has to be a misdirection type run plays where you can take advantage of their aggressiveness. And also like Houston struggled with a gap filament in, the, in their run defense where you'll see three guys in the B gap and then you're able to cut out wide and uh, have some big runs here and there. Like Adrian Peterson's touchdown run against Houston was a really good example of that. So yeah, stop running the inside zone. Uh, stop running power. Stop trying to pull at clowning and, and why. It's stupid. It doesn't work. And uh, really, maybe one day teams will kind of realize it. The only thing that you can really do with Clowney and Watt is what the Dolphins did on their, especially their first drive, is let their over aggressiveness get to them. But yeah, even then, they're going to the field, you know? yeah, yeah, and then cut back under them. That, that's it. That's your success right there. You're not otherwise. No, it's just it's silly to do it. And and you bring up Nick Chubb and Nick Chubb in the passing game, four receptions for 40 yards, 10 yards a pop, with a long of 23. That's where he was successful. I mean, when he was catching the ball in the backfield, that's where he was doing damage. Yeah. Yeah, Chubb is also just like a monster too. Like, I remember last year, Marlon Mack, Stephon Jadavion Clowney, I bookmarked that. I was like, I think Marlon Mack can be a a starting running back in the professional football league. And then I saw Nick Chubb run head on to Menardrick McKinney, and McKinney wasn't able to tackle him. And I've never seen that all before. Like, McKinney wrapped him up, hit some head on, and Chubb is able to run through and get, like, you know, an extra yard. And I don't think I've ever seen a running back not go backwards or the runs of Marjorie McKinney. So, yeah, I'm all in on Nick Chubb being, you know, future, uh, you know, probable running back without a doubt. Yeah, I, I was – that kid is a lot of fun to 
gosh, goodness gracious. Uh, he's averaging 5.3 yards a carry this year. He is – he's a blast. Yeah, and the Browns' offensive line was good in this game. I mean, aside from the run stuff, but they, they pass blocked, you know, well all game. Houston didn't really have a, any good of a rush at all. Mayfield had plenty of time to throw. His issues in the passing offense were they were throwing a lot of short passes. I mean, aside from Jarvis Landry, I don't really think Callaway or Higgins are uh, kind of the efficient, you know, first down wide receivers. They're not the Keelan Allen, you know, just get bucket type of wide receivers. And Houston played a lot of, you know, short, short zones. Matthew played a lot of short hook zones. Their linebackers played a lot of five, six yard zones as well, too. And Mayfield started this game at one point. He was two for five for two yards and two interceptions. And so what did you see Houston do specifically with their pass coverages to limit Baker Mayfield? It kind of gave him that Nathan Peterman sort of – not complete Peterman. I guess it was like – he was like Baker Peter. He wasn't the full Peter man. Uh, but it was ish. It was a little bit like it. Half Peterman? Yeah. God, that just sounds Maybe terrible. the Pete. Maybe the Pete man. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think they were disguising the coverage. I mean, the announcers talked about it quite a bit, and I picked off on it too. Is that they were showing – pretty often they were showing man and uh, – they would drop into either the Tampa, you know, the classic Tampa two, which is why how Zach Cunningham, I think uh, there was not only there's pressure by clowning on the play that on Cunningham's pick, but he, he fell deeper back than our, we normally drop our linebackers. So it looked more like a Tampa two. And then we're going to the cover four that we more or less like to mostly run that I hate with all my being. And, but, and, I think that we were doing a good job, Cornell, because especially when you saw right at the snap, you saw guys moving to a different spot pretty quickly. And it, I just think it was just disguising that and confusing um, Mayfield. And, you know, what else do you expect from Romeo Cornell? I mean, somebody said when I picked the Browns to win, I, somebody told me, oh, that's crazy because, you know, you, you know Cornell is going to do things to confuse Mayfield. And it's like, yeah, and he did. He did a great job of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw and I saw that a lot too. I saw a lot of screwing around. I do think they played a lot of Tampa two though, mainly or a lot of coverage two is what it looks like on the broadcast. It's hard to tell uh, whenever you can't see where your safeties are at watching the game. Like we have, we have to watch and uh, you know as working men, we can't sit around and watching all twenty two like uh, uh, the college kids and the stoners and the ones that live in their parents' basements full time. I only live in my parents' basement from like. I guess like four to 11 o'clock, but during the day, you know, I got things to do. So I have a chance to watch the film. I don't think I'm going to watch the film on this game because I'm trying to live a more fulfilled life. But uh, I, I look like a lot of coverage you for, and Cunningham's interception, I think is the example of that is also his first, he should have had two pick sixes in this game. He dropped a pick earlier. He caught the even more difficult one and Clowney went inside out on Greg Robinson. Really good too, to create that pass pressure. And that would have been a whole, that was a holding penalty as well. in Robinson either way. Uh, they got Cleveland pretty good. And what did you think about that Greg Robinson versus Clowney matchup? I'm surprised Robinson held up as well as he did. I mean, they were getting pressure on Mayfield, and Mayfield's a, an escape artist. I mean, you can put he and Deshaun Watson next to each other and, and not really tell the difference between the two when it comes to that. Yeah. Wow, what a liability. And, and just think if they still had Joe Thomas at left tackle, how much different that offensive line would be. That would be like a borderline elite offensive line and said they have to trot out the, the corpse of Greg Robinson out there. He's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that was one of the reasons why I thought Cleveland was going to be good last year, but didn't fall forth this year was because I really like their offensive line. And uh, yeah, they probably like the 12th best offensive line in football or so this year. And Robinson's funny too, to watch because he's such a great athlete. <laughs> like he's so strong. He's so quick. He just doesn't know how to play the position at all. And I don't know who's, if anybody's going to be able to teach him how to at all ever. 
But like the talent's undeniable. The potential's there. He just doesn't know how to do it. I don't think if it's clicked at this point, it's, it's ever going to click. I mean, remember, he was drafted as a guard. Yeah. And, and he was, I have to say, I, you know, I miss him too, is, is he was one of my favorite offensive linemen to come out of college. I thought he was going to be a monster, and then he's just total scrub. Well, guess how old Greg Robinson is? He's 28? He's 26. Golly! Yeah. So he's probably drafted 21, you know. Wow. Yeah, maybe somebody should, should have him play some guard. I think the Lions have him play guard, and they lost their left tackle and moved him over there, and he wasn't very good there. So maybe one day he'll move back to guard. He didn't get it at guard. He's not going to get it at tackle. <laughs> um, so Cleveland, in the second half, they scored – 13 points. This was 13 points more than they scored in the first half. And Houston scored 29 total points. So the game was over. Uh, it was you know, pretty much done. But Cleveland did do some interesting things in the second half. They blitzed a ton. That worked really well. They threw the ball downfield. That was a great idea. Mayfield and downfield passes was 8 for 13, 222 yards. One touchdown, one reception. Another touchdown was negated by an offensive holding penalty. Uh, another Possible almost touchdown was negated by Justin Reed being simply spectacular. They also stopped throwing, running the ball up the middle. That worked out pretty well as well, too. Uh, so is there a reason why Cleveland was so passive to start this game at all? Did they just want to like try to win a 2016 uh, Bill O'Brien S for a game? Or, and uh, and like, why weren't they just doing this the entire time? Because it's obvious like this is how you need to play Houston uh, to actually have a chance to beat them. Yeah, and the Browns have a new offensive coordinator, Freddie Kitchens, and he comes from a high-octane offense kind of background, and I really had higher expectations for the Browns' offense coming into this game. I thought they would have been smart enough not to do the things we talk about every Tuesday, which is run the ball at the Houston Texans' defense. That is just LOL stupid. So I was I had higher expectations, and I think you saw that adjustment into the second half. Of course, they're playing from behind. They really had no choice, right? They had to start getting the ball down the field. But I, I – why Kitchens has such a conservative game plan, I don't know. That's It's just, again, we've seen a lot of stupid football this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen a lot of stupid football, and that was right up there. Um, so that if, if I have to go, what's the dumbest is thinking that you're going to come out and go right at our strengths and be successful and then put yourself behind schedule the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and, I do, and the thing that kind of made me frustrated about this Cleveland game is yeah, I want to see Houston be tested. Like, I want them to actually go up against a team that's going to throw the ball downfield, that's going to get, you know, blitz them, that's not going to just run the ball up the middle, these sorts of things. Because Kansas City's not going to do this. Pittsburgh's not going to do this. The Chargers aren't going to do this. Uh, New England's not going to do this. And so whenever January and the playoffs come, I want to be a complete surprise whenever they can't even cover Travis Benjamin, let alone Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon. And my team just haven't done it all. And so I hope like Cleveland kind of at least showed Indy, you know, Hey, throw the ball to my Hilton downfield a lot. I showed Philadelphia to kind of do the same thing as well too. So Houston at least gets a trial run uh, in in December. You probably get, get, gets punched in the mouth once at least really good. And so that way, whenever January comes, they aren't fully and completely surprised. And that was kind of my least favorite thing about this game was that I thought Cleveland had the opportunity to actually throw the ball downfield to blitz, to do certain things, to give Houston a more difficult time. And they did it all whatsoever. And they did in the second half and it worked really well. Uh, I mean, I can't read Mayfield's numbers again, but in the second half on passes that travel plus 15 yards on the field, that pro football reference classifies as deep passes. He was eight for 13, 222 yards, one touchdown, one interception. 
the interception came with like a triple coverage Deshaun Watson s sort of interception where Andre Howe caught it, you know, wide open in the back of the end zone. Watson's thrown that same interception, I think, like five times this year. And then he had that one touchdown to Higgins that was, you know, really awesome. Uh, he had another touchdown negated by Justin Reed, and then the other one that was negated by Holding. But throughout the game in that second half, like, he threw the ball downfield and guys were open, and they were really open. And so, like, I, Houston hasn't played a team that's going to throw the ball downfield yet. Hopefully they do so. But this is kind of like what we've been talking about all year, like the real concern for Houston at 9-3. and three. And like why we're still, you know, iffy and we're not boiling all over them like we probably like we were with the 2011 team, 2012 teams, is that there's this one big weakness here and it's lack of cornerback play that they have and just teams haven't exploited it. I don't know how they're going to cover even, you know, Barry Switzer for the Pittsburgh Steelers, <laughs> let alone Juju Smith-Schuster. I don't know how they're going to cover even Philip Dorsett in New England, let alone Josh Gordon and Julian Edelman and uh, and I, like, I don't even know how they're going to cover Cordell Patterson, you know, and Gronk's right. not even fully healthy yet. I don't know how they're going to cover uh, Chris Conley, let alone Tyree Kill and Kelsey and maybe Sammy Watkins if he's healthy, even though I don't think Watkins is very good to begin with. But, like, there's, there's problems here, and they just haven't put the team yet that's going to fully take advantage of it. And Cleveland did it, and they kind, they kind of in the second half, they scored 13 points. They probably could have scored 20 maybe. Uh, some other things broke a different way, but they didn't. But, yeah, like, the opportunity was there for Cleveland. They were just super passive to start the game off, and they lost because of it. Yeah, and, and we can talk of, you know, some people say, oh, we, we went into conservative mode. We went into play it safe mode. But play it safe mode is supposed to, like, stop touchdowns like that and stop, you know, 75-yard throws to Callaway, who scorches Jonathan Joseph down the sideline. You know, that's what the prevent defense is supposed to stop you from doing. And we couldn't even do that. So even if you want to make the argument, oh, we were already going soft, well, we failed at that. Yeah. So um, it's going to be – that's the argument that we've been making a lot this year, right, is that we play teams that we, we – our strength are their weaknesses. Um, mm-hmm. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah, the best and run defense in football plays teams have to run the ball. They have to run the ball. Most of the time aren't even good at running the ball to begin with, but they have to because they have the quarterback play to even throw the ball. But you can see, you know, Baker Mayfield, what he did in the second half was just so exciting. I mean, he just pushed the ball downfield time after time after play after play. He was just going to push the ball and throw a screen to Nick Chubb. And that was so ruthlessly effective in the second half. And that's, you know, when we talk about where we're going to go in the playoffs, you look at the teams that we talked about as being better than the Texans, and I think Minnesota, if they ever had, if their offense ever came together, it was just disgusting. But there's a good seven <laughs> or eight very, very good offenses that are going to hit the playoffs, and we're going to have a really hard time stopping them with the with our pass defense, which means our our offense needs to score more than 22 points a game, like they did on Tuesday. So um, I'm kind of rambling a bit here, but I want to get back to Baker Mayfield. Now you got to see why fans are so excited about him, why I've enjoyed watching him this year, Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I guess, I guess I think when you're talking about the playoffs too, real quick. So KC is first in offense DVOA. The Chargers are third. Uh, Denver is ninth. Uh, we'll talk about Denver too for potential number 60 opponents. Pittsburgh's fifth. New England is sixth, and this is like the worst New England team in like five years, just casually, but still they're going to win, you know, 14 games or whatever. And then Baltimore is 16th. And, uh, and so, like, unless they play Baltimore or, or Denver, and even then, even I think Baltimore may give them a little bit of trouble, 
uh, in the first round of the playoffs. Whoever they're going to play the second round, I just think it's going to be, you know, bite the curb and, uh, and get kicked in the back of the head, you know, sort of offensive production against them because they can't cover anybody. And, like, the defense, I think, can be good enough to get enough stops, you know, here and there and hold Kansas City maybe to, you know, 35 points instead of 49 points, whatever it is they're scoring every year. But in order to be a team like that, you have to score 31 points. And so Houston consistently sitting at, you know, 21, 22, 23, 24, you know, occasionally hitting 27. Um, you know, now's the time for them to actually start throwing the ball downfield, using Watson as a runner and scoring points that they need to score to be able to beat one of these teams. Because it's, it's not a switch that you can just flick on. And uh, they haven't done it yet. Maybe this is the week against Indy, or Indy has a chance to throw the ball downfield against them at T.Y. Hilton. And maybe not. Maybe it just doesn't happen. And then maybe it gets to the divisional round. There's just no – you're, you're just going to be sitting there just waiting for it to happen, you know. Yeah, and if we – you know, a little quick preview of, of uh, this week's game against Indy, who's going to cover Eric Ebron or T.Y. Hilton or uh, – is it Naheem? The, their backup running uh, back? Naheem Hines. Yeah, and thank you, thank you. The one who yeah. touched touchdown pass on Tyron Matthew. Yeah, and uh, yeah, another – Tyron Matthews scorchable moment. And who's going to cover Marlon Mack? I mean, who's going to cover these guys? We don't have the personnel that can really do a great job. Zach Cunningham has upped his game. Let's give him full props for it's due. He's done a better job. But, you know, our safeties are going to struggle against these kinds of guys, especially if they're going up against Matthew. Yeah. Uh, so I guess my last question about like how the way we've done this first half of the show is do you think Cleveland opened the door just a little bit, showed teams the light a little bit on how to play against Houston? I think the smart teams know what they need to do. And mm-hmm. we, we can go back to uh, Brock Osweiler's, you know, the first couple of games he was successful, then everybody's, you know, everybody Play started yeah, playing two safeties deep, and all of a sudden the game was blown up and, and the rest of the season went downhill after that. I mean, teams pick up on it, but I think the smart teams already know what to do. And really, if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, what are you going to do differently? If you're the Chargers, what are you going to do differently? You're already playing to destroy the other team's Mm -hmm. defense. So it's not like we need a super big adjustment there. I think if you're an opposing coach and you're looking at at Aaron Colvin and Jonathan Joseph and Kareem Jackson and Tyron Matthew, you're going, no, I got some really great matchups here with my weapons. And I think that's what what the good coaches do. That's why they're going to go to the playoffs. They're the good coaches. Mm-hmm. instead of kind of scraping and begging and hoping to get to succeed and, you know, win nine games or whatever. So, uh, so that's against Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's still going to be around. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. And then whenever we come back, we'll talk about some of the specific players in this game instead of kind of the big picture about it. And we're back. So Justin Reed, uh, Justin Reed is spectacular. He's really unbelievable. I know one of the things that's kind of happened to me, which is very sad. I wish I wasn't like this, but uh, I've had my feelings hurt so many times, just over and over, just ruthlessly my feelings have been hurt uh, throughout all these years I've been alive. And so it takes me just a second to warm up to somebody being good at playing football and to think it's fully actually you know, happening. I know with AJ Boye, I probably spent like seven weeks going, you know, I, this is cool. Uh, this thing is kind of happening. I don't really think it's a real thing yet. You know, it's been five weeks. It's been six weeks. And that Chargers game happened. Like, okay, yeah, he's one of, like, the seven best cornerbacks in football now, just out of nowhere. And this is the thing that just kind of happened. And with Justin Reed's kind of the same thing where 
you know, he's had some really good tackling. He's broken up some passes downfield. He had that big pick six against Washington. Uh, he had a really good game against Miami as well, too. And now after this game, though, like, this was a, a really, really spectacular game from the safety position. He, sh- he stopped two completions that were catches with big, brutal, uh, big shoulder hits that drove the ball loose. He went from a shallow zone position to shoveling down the red zone. The other one came from the deep center position all the way over to the sideline, which is a play that you have to make as a safety. He stripped the ball to the goal line to save a touchdown as well. Uh, he bit on play action a little bit, a little too hard at times, but, you know, the safety next to him did the same thing. Uh, but overall, he was just unbelievable. And also, he's a good – he's a pretty decent man coverage uh, defender against running backs and tight ends as well, too. So who's the best safety on this team, BFD? Kareem Jackson, still the best safety on this team. I think I wish I think he could I, play, play it more often. So. I wish he could play it. I, I still love Kareem Jackson's safety. I don't even remotely hide that. Um, I, I think number two is, is Andre Howe, a healthy Andre Howe. And I think we still uh, his, his legs are getting back under him. Uh, there are very few, I think, safeties who have the range that he does. Yeah. But I think what Justin Reed brings is he brings the best of Kareem Jackson's world and Andre Howe's world in the same package with the ability to go play sideline to sideline, to play center field, to tackle, uh, to make big plays. It is damn nice being so excited about a safety prospect on this team. And really, you know, we've relied on getting kind of those outsider kind of guys to play safety for us, whether it was Daniel Manning or whether it was uh, Kareem Jackson or Glover Quinn, where we move guys. We've always relied on, like, these, these, you know, older kind of guys to come in and play safety. And I didn't get you know excited about a bunch of the guys we drafted, but now Justin Reed is awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and like he, I really like watching him hit too. Like, I mean, he just does everything, you know, really well. Uh, and I mean like that, that play, like I've watched that play so many times where he goes from the center field to just completely splatter the wide receiver on the sideline. And you knock that ball. This is awesome. The, the fumble strip was really cool just because of how he waited in time to strip for whenever – I believe it was Callaway dove for the end zone. So Callaway yeah. goes to reach out, and that's when he times the strip to, to knock the ball out of his hands. My favorite thing about that play, though, wasn't the forced fumble. It was Tyron Matthew begging Aaron Colvin for the football so he could return the ball to the end zone and get tackled at the three-yard line. And this is the most Tyron Matthew thing, you know, ever of all time. And, uh, you know, some people have personalities that match up to like that sort of thing. I don't. I find it sickening. I find it nauseating. I find it uh, completely just revolting in those cases. But, you know, he's a, he's a mediocre football player and who puts out this, uh, this facade on the field that makes it – that gives the per- perception that he's a lot better than he really is. But I would say Jackson's still the best safety in this team. I just wish he could play it more. That would put Reed at two just because he's such a better tackler than Hal is. As, as great as the range that Hal has, he still can't tackle very well, even as he's bulked up. But it's still awesome seeing on the field. And then Matthew is, you know, if he's playing strong safety for you and playing a lot of short zone, he's a fine player doing that. He's just not as good as everybody makes him out to be. He's not worth $12 million a year. He had another really good holding penalty in this game, <laughs> uh, of course. The, and, like, he's so belligerent whenever he gets called for it, when it's super obvious, too. And I'm excited to watch him try to cover Eric Ebron again next week. Yeah, and then he had a, uh, gave up a first down as a 15-yard play, and he had a big hit on the wide receiver, and he celebrated it. It's just like, dude, <laughs> dude, he just gave up a first down. You should be pissed. Instead, you're strutting. Yeah. Hey, look, 
look, and I, I don't hide the fact I love guys like Cam Newton. I, I like guys who, who wear their uh, emotions on their sleeve. I am a big fan of that. If I would have played, that would have been me. But Cam Newton's a really, really good football player, and Tyron Matthew is not. And it's that's just kind of the difference for me. Mm-hmm. My, th- my new favorite thing to say now is Justin Reed does the things Tyron Matthew wishes he can do. <laughs> I saw that. That's awesome. That's my new favorite <laughs> thing to say. Nobody likes it very much except for me. But you know what? I, I, I do. I, I'm glad you do. I'm an island. I exist only for myself. Um, so this has also been like a really good safety draft too, if you haven't paid attention. Like I understand like it's hard to watch more than one football game on Sunday. Not I mean I can't I can only watch one live game a week. I watch all the other games through condensed versions. A lot of people don't spend their free time like that, you know, and they only watch the Texans, I understand. But so out there, Mika Fitzpatrick was the eleventh overall pick in Miami. Duran James is from the depths of hell itself. Uh, he was the 17th overall pick for Los Angeles. Terrell Edmonds was the 28th pick. He starts in Pittsburgh. Jesse Bates was the 51st, 54th pick. He starts in Cincinnati. Ronnie Harrison was the 93rd pick in Jacksonville, uh, out of Auburn. He started six games of them so far this year. He started for them last year in place of Barry Church, and he's going to be the starting safety for the next year, and he's very good too. Uh, so it's been a really great safety class, but who do you think has been the best safety so far? It, this is a great question, and I'm I'm so glad I'm not being graded for this answer. Justin Reed's been great, but he's been had hasn't gotten nearly as many snaps as some of these other guys have. The the you know, it's really the three the three guys who I'm really falling for are Fitzpatrick, James, and uh, Bates. And I hate watching since I hate watching since. Oh, it's terrible. Football. <laughs> they were fun for three weeks, though. They were a lot of fun for three weeks. They're miserable. I, yeah, they are now. But, like, if their first streaks are fun because Andy Dalton just take the snap and then just throw it downfield. Like, wouldn't even, like, send Speeder look and then, oh, there's John Ross. Oh, there's A.J. Green. And he has, like, you know, three seconds of pass protection. That's all he needed. Um, so, Bates has been great. I think Fitzpatrick overall has been the best for my money. But James is right behind. I'm that game that James had. Uh, was it Sunday night? Yeah. Yeah, that he, he was just a monster, freaking monster. He's going to be really good. But I think Justin Reed's up there in the conversation. He hasn't gotten nearly the snaps, and he is now. I mean, clearly mm-hmm. he's earning the snaps. But uh, this is really great safety class. Yeah, I think James is the best one. Uh, I, I mean, like, just, like, how hard he hits is unbelievable. And, like, he's, he's like, dropping Vance McDonald and making, you know, he's giving him internal bleeding whenever he comes down and make tackles. He had a really great – he had a funny interception where he's in man coverage against McDonald. I have no idea what Roethlisberger was doing. He just, like, threw the ball 40 yards in the air, and it came, and then it went 10 yards ahead. Like, you're playing one of those Castle Crusher sort of games, and you're trying to throw the rock over the wall. And he got just laying right in his arms, every, and he had a, a pretty good reception after that. But, yeah, he's been unbelievable this year. He's, he's been demonic. And I think right now he would be my pick for Defensive Player of the Year. It wouldn't be Chubb. I think Chubb is fine. Uh, I don't think he's like Khalil Mack or Von Miller, and it's never going to be this sort of player. But he's going to be like a solid pass rusher, I think, throughout his career. But I think, yeah, for sure this year, I think Jaron James has been his best safety, and he's my rookie of the year as of right now. I think that's legit, totally legit. Yeah. But don't let that take away what Justin Reed has done. Reed's been awesome. He's going to be a really great player. I think he already is a great player, but uh, – but, like, you know, just with better understanding the game, knowing when to pick your spots, 
but like he has all the tools and the physicality and the know-how to play the position after like only only really starting six games and also with the pedigree of his brother and the fact you read all the stories about how his brothers helped him you know prepare to play in the NFL and you know those sorts of things and his brother's a very good football player too so uh, yeah I'm super excited to, to watch him for at least his rookie contract he'll be here for at least another three more years and be very good throughout that time. So you use the word physicality. Are you going for a Spencer Tillman shtick now? Yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> it's hard. It's different whenever like you just sit here and you talk compared to ride. Because if I like wrote that down, I'd be like, ugh, I hate that. Right. I'd go back right. and change it and be like, well, I said this. I can make it more specific and actually have it mean something. Whenever you just talk, you know, you say things, you don't even know what they mean. I can't look anything up. Like, I can't remember the name of that video game you can play where you have like one catapult on one screen and then another catapult on the other side and you adjust the angles and you try to like blow up the other castle. I have no idea what it's called, but that was Ben Roethlisberger's interception at Darren James though. He just set it, set the angle way too low and just lobbed it and it just fell, you know, 20 yards short. And then you go back and you adjust and you keep doing that over and over again. Oh, that's, that's great. I, I know the game you're talking about. I just can't remember the name. Yeah, it was a very bad interception. <laughs> so anyways, Lamar Miller. He had another 100-yard rushing game again in back-to-back weeks. He's averaging 8.4 yards of carry his last two games. Like, I think Andrew Luck is 27th in yards per attempt, and he's averaging like 6.9 yards an attempt. So Lamar Miller is a better running back than Andrew Luck as a passer uh, right now. Cleveland does have the 25th best defense in uh, run defense DVOA. So it's kind of a crappier defense. And when it comes to stopping the run, Lamar Miller being good, is this like a real thing that he's going to keep doing for the rest of this year into January? Or is it just a case of a 97-yard touchdown round and poor uh, competition he's played? That certainly hasn't hurt, but here's what I'm seeing. And, and I have to give it credit where it's due. Uh, everybody who listens to this podcast knows how much I really do not like Bill O'Brien. But what we've seen, what I've seen over the past couple of weeks, and this is and it's been evolving, is that he has been clearly been listening to the podcast. What can mm-hmm. I say? It's important. It's, it's great. Yeah. It's, it's, I can't wait till he gives us mad props on uh, one of his professors. But really, uh, he's, he's doing this. He has to have it all for himself. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We, did, we do all the hard work, and he takes all the glory for it. Mm-hmm. But he also uh, takes all the angst, too. It's always on him, <laughs> if it's the good or the bad. And so I can respect that part of it. <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's the little things he's doing. There's a couple times during the game that, like, there was a screen that we ran. If we were run the same play, you know, the screens that we were running designed earlier in the season were just guaranteed to fail. I mean, it's like, what, run a screen, either wide receiver, running back, tight end, eligible left tackle, whatever. It didn't matter. It was not going to go anywhere. But one of the screens he called in this game was beautifully written up. And I got to give him credit for it. It was a beautiful play. Um, he's chipping with his tight hands and he's chipping with running backs, helping his offensive linemen. That's why the offensive line has been doing so much better. But a big one for me, Matt, and I, you're the man, and so I'm going to toss this to you and let you run with it, is I'm seeing a lot more outside zone and inside zone rather than the damn power game that never worked. And that's what plays Lamar Miller's strengths, Matt. Yeah, I think it's – I don't think they're even that good running the inside zone either – just because they're not, they've never been a, they've never been an offensive line this year that gets a lot of first level push. Because you run the inside zone, you have to get movement at the first level, and then you have to you know, get at least a helmet on the second level. The outside zone is different because you just have to stick at each level of the block. You can't get penetration at the first level, but you don't have to move the guy at all. 
you don't have to obliterate the linebacker. You just have to block. You get your head on him. And so that's what I've seen a lot of is I've seen a lot more outside zone. And I've seen them actually block the second level. Like on two of Lamar Miller's big runs, I wrote about it uh, yesterday. On one play, you have Nick Martin. And, or one play, you have both Sunil Calamente and Zach Bolton, both on the linebackers. Backside linebacker style of play, nobody else's line penetration. Lamar Miller hesitates for one second, allows things to flow, and then takes off. And then, hey, he has you know, 12 yards. Another play, you have Nick Martin at the second level. You have Julian Davenport at the second level. Uh, the backside tackle misses his block, but it doesn't matter because he takes a poor angle. And, hey, you got another 12 yards or whatever. And so that's kind of the biggest thing I've seen. I've seen a lot more outside zone. Lamar Miller's even done a good job cutting back against the two to take advantage of the overflowing of the defense. But just the biggest thing is they're just blocking the second level, and they haven't done that since 2015. And we talk about that a lot uh, on the show throughout this year too. And so I'm just like I'm just glad things have come together a lot better for the offensive line. I, I'm, you know, we talked about this earlier, just how downtrodden and dejected, and how you know how sad I was about how bad the offensive line was to start the year. And they've gotten a lot better recently, and they've been playing you know really well for the past six weeks or so. And so whenever somebody says they have the worst offensive line in football, they're not really watching well enough. You know, Davenport's going to get beat a few times, uh, maybe like two times really badly a game, but he's playing left tackle. He's going to begin you know, Miles Garrett. You're going to get beat. Miles Garrett's going to you look, make you look stupid at least twice a game. You know, that's going to happen. Ken Lamb's not going to block the second level very well, but he's you know, been passable. And, uh, and so, like, I think Houston has probably, you know, the 19th best offensive line in football. They aren't the worst offensive line in football anymore. That's the belongs to the Arizona Cardinals. And it's been a lot of fun to watch as far as, like, a guy who enjoys watching offensive line play and uh, considers you know, Julian Davenport a really close friend of his. An imaginary <laughs> friend, but a very close friend of his. <laughs> yeah, and by DVOA, we're 30th in pass protection, and we're uh, – where's the damn run one? Went right past it. Uh, running back yards, 23rd. Uh, and but we actually come out to 20th overall. I'm sorry, in stuff ranked we're 16th, second level rank we're 20th, open field rank 13th. So we aren't. I mean, pass protection we we could still use work. You know, we gave up several sacks again on Sunday. Some of that is clearly on Deshaun Watson holding on to the ball too long as well. You, you know, one of the things you heard the announcers talking about was uh, his tendency to to try to escape every situation rather than just throwing the ball away. Um, so some of that is on helm, but this offensive line is not nearly as bad as it was to begin the season. And I just want to just, he, Matt touched on it, but I want to pound on it is that watching Davenport get to the second level is again, it's that art that I love to see because his ability to get around a corner and to get to the outside shoulder of a tackler, uh, on the outside zone run plays is gorgeous. He is so quick. That's why. I'm really buying into Matt's theory that Davenport long-term is a left tackle because I think he has the footwork to do it. And he just needs to improve in the pass pro, obviously. Yeah. And I, I, he has the body for it too. He's a natural kick slider. I mean, I think like, I mean, some the offensive lines are, the numbers are bad. Like there's still 32nd pressure rate, 38%. Some of that has to do with Watson holding on the ball for a while. And like, even then I would rather have Watson, hold on to the ball for six seconds in the pocket and scramble, make something happen. And just like, you know, check it down for two yards to Ryan Griffin flat or uh, not try to run and, you know, pick up effective yards. You know, like as far as all that, uh, you know, one, two, three read, uh, throw it short stuff, 
I'd rather see Watson hold on to a longer make plays because this would make him you know, such a special player. But with Davenport, you know, you have him playing right tackle. You have ranking at left tackle. It doesn't work at all. Uh, you bench him. You start ranking at left tackle. You have Landon with right tackle. It doesn't work at all. And so now in this case, you have Davenport just sticking there at left tackle. Like, he's good at it. That's his natural spot to play. It's where he played by Nell. It's where he played last year and was, you know, competent at. And uh, the switch they made was just, you know, so super stupid. And, you know, I think that was kind of one of the keys whenever you go about Houston went from 0-3 to 9-3. It was just putting their players in better spots to play and putting players where they should be playing. It's helped them out, uh, you know, so, so much. But, yeah, I'm hoping that we can have Davenport play, you know, tackle next year. I know Houston's a ton of cap space, and it's way too early to start talking about next offseason. But I'm hoping that rather than go out and spend a bunch of money on left tackle, which they shouldn't do, I wouldn't mind them upgrading, trying to upgrade right tackle or even you know, give Rankin a chance to, to start there going to next season. But I go just pay all your money you can for defensive backs, maybe add a second wide receiver or a second running back or another tight end or something like that. Because I don't think left tackle is a, a big position of importance for this team with how Davenport's played the past few weeks. Yeah, and just – Oh, first for a moment there. That was weird. Um, yeah, don't throw – I was going to take a quick look. I don't think there's anything of substance that's the free agent, unrestricted free agent, in 2019 that's going to really help the team. Yeah, but guys, guys also get cut so much in football too, the same money. Yeah. Uh, hey, Greg Robinson's going to be out there. <laughs> I hope he plays in the Alliance Football League in San Antonio so I can watch him play in person. <laughs> um, God. Um, wow, that really distracted me. That was well done. Uh, Their jerseys are pretty cool. They're like super maroon. They have the, for the blood of the Alamo. There's a big sword on them. Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. You know, I, just, I do wish Christian Hackenberg had drafted a play here because I would have bought season tickets. And got a <laughs> just so you could cheer him? No, I would, I would 100% earnestly cheer him. He's, like a, he's the Sasquatch of all quarterbacks. You know? Nobody's ever seen him play in the pros. He, but there's all these hilarious stories of him just being terrible and unplayable and just making just awful, awful plays, awful decisions, awful throws. And nobody's ever seen it. And so, like, I'm definitely going to see him play if he comes to San Antonio. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Um, but, yeah, I'd rather focus, like you said, I'd rather focus on getting the uh, defensive backfield a little bit more. The, the cornerbacks. Yeah, the cornerbacks. And then, uh, oh, that's what I was going to say. Is this the part where we insert the uh, Cameron Fleming references that we talked about? <laughs> no, I, I, well, so my brain's, like, super warped. One of the things that happens when you write about football is you – you fall in love with like sort of like niche players that just kind of happen out of nowhere. And like you get really like esoteric and deep into these arguments that you feel strongly about. And my big thing last year, last off season was don't pay Nick Solder. He's a mediocre tackle. He's like, he's like the Tyron Matthew of offensive tackles because he played in new England because he blocked for Tom Brady. Everybody thinks, Hey, he's great. You know, look how great he is. Uh, but blocking for Tom Brady is, is, probably the easiest quarterback to block for because how quick he gets the ball out, how well he steps up in the pocket, those sorts of things. And uh, you know, Nate, Sol- Nate Solder was paid $15 million a year because of that. So I say he's mediocre. He's not worth paying that much. Sign Cameron Fleming. He's, he's mediocre, but he's, he's only like $4 million. He's big. He moves really well. He's not the quickest guy, but he knows how to make up for his lack of quickness. 
And yeah, I wrote like 2,500 words on it, way too many words, uh, more words than have ever even been said about Cameron Fleming. And so I watched that uh, Saints-Cowboys game last night. The only thing I did was just watch the left side of their offensive line because it was Cameron Fleming and Xavier Suofio. And that was the only thing I cared about watching that entire game. And so Cameron Fleming was pretty good. You know, he was – he's, a, he's a, like a mediocre starting left tackle in football, I would say. Uh, Xavier Suofio, not one of his better games. He had three sacks in the first half, but he only gave up three all game. He had a, a bad holding penalty. But, like, he's, his hands are a lot better. He's blocked in the second level. He's moving better. He's better than he was in Houston. But, uh, yeah, overall, Cameron Fleming's good. And I forgot how much I really loved watching him play uh, whenever there was no football on last March or so. And you just kind of lay in the grass and try to think of things to write about. And Cameron Fleming was that thing for me. <laughs> so we've had a back and forth going about that. Hey, Taylor Lewan's a free agent, potential free agent. <laughs> I just don't like him as a person. No. Nah. He's, he's, he's better than mediocre – but I just hate that, like, spearing in the pile stuff. It's something that yeah. you do, like, when you're 13 years old, you try and be cool and tough. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I took – yes, I did. I took a quick look at who's going to be – who's potentially a free agent. Ooh, Anthony Barr. Oh. Can't catch Josh Allen, so, you know, you <laughs> never come back from that. And I made growly noises about Anthony Barr, so there's <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. I don't, want, I don't want that at all. So, Deontay, the big news that came out today, that's really all I have to say about this game. Do you have anything else at all? Yeah, I, I, a couple of quick things I want to say is, again, I want to give uh, props to Bill O'Brien for changing. He's evolved. He's clearly evolved the, the play-calling scheme this year. And I want to talk about the playoffs just a bit because I don't see them the rest. We'll do it in the next. We'll do it on the flip side of the break. I was wanted to say a couple of things because Rivers and I had a really constructive conversation about the playoffs I thought I'd, that I found Pretty fascinating from his standpoint. Okay. All right. Well, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back to hear about how fascinating Rivers McCown is. And we're back. So, BFT, just keep on talking about what you're last talking about. <laughs> sure. So, I, I have no fear whatsoever about questioning myself. Um, I am good with it. We, we seem to be in this day and age where, like, if something doesn't fit your preconceived thought that you go out and you prove it so like all the QAnon people like you know that's just a big conspiracy kind of group that to make the world view fit what they think should happen rather yeah than I don't understand that I have no idea what it is like I have it's, zero clue what it is it's just a bunch of stupidness it's a bunch of way to rationalize what your thoughts are to make sure that they fit your preconceived worldview and it, I just see that as like kind of a thing that happens today like you can't nobody can be wrong can't be wrong about something well you know what i don't have no problem being wrong i have a problem not learning and so i went to rivers and i said look you know i've had this harsh opinion about bill O'Brien for a while now and his response i thought was pretty telling it's like well i think he's okay as a coach but what i think he is i think he's mediocre as a coach and that is the conservative nature. And so as for T, this is kind of for you. So consider this your part of the podcast is that he's, we heard it during the broadcast on Sunday is that the broadcasters asked him, you know, what do you think about all these other teams that throw the ball around all over the place? And Bill O'Brien's that's, you know, I'm just content running the ball. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to, to for me. So for all the people who think I hate the Texans because I don't love Bill O'Brien, I don't like Bill O'Brien because I think the Texans can be more even with this 
with the talent. I know there's disagreement with that, and that's cool and all, but I just want to make sure that, you know, y'all kind of understand my standpoint on this. I look at a team that's got guys like Lamar Miller and Will Fuller and Dondre Hopkins and and the, the uh, Jordan brothers at tight end, and I think this is an offense that should be putting up 30 points a game. Instead, we put her along at 21-22. And that's why I just have higher expectations. And I took so much smack for not liking Rick Smith, and now all of a sudden nobody likes Rick Smith. I kind of like and... Rick Smith still, though. <laughs> Rick Smith is like a pop star who couldn't write a good album but could write like four really good songs. But, yeah. but there would be eight bad songs on it, but there would be four just bangers. Yeah, and, and, so, and so the other thing Rivers pointed out to me that, that I'm getting to the point is that, look, if you look at the rest of the AFC, there's a lot of warts. I mean, we could make it to the Super Bowl just for the fact that there's so many of these teams have warts. Like, Casey can't play defense. Um, that's the Rams. Chargers, eh, the Chargers are pretty – they're probably the best overall team in the AFC, I, I would say. They're third in offensive DVOA and ninth in defensive. Denver, I'm not even going to discuss. Pittsburgh has a hard time with uh, stopping other teams. Their defense is not great. And they get, they get a bad rats in offense, too. Yeah, yes. And um, New England can't throw the ball deep, can't push the ball. They dink and dunk their way down the field. They don't have any explosiveness this year. Baltimore has Lamar Jackson playing quarterback. And from everything I'm seeing, it's crazy that they're just going to leave him in there even when Flacco comes back. So you look at the who we're playing in the in the rest of the AFC. The Texans have a chance, just kind of default because every team in the AFC, the possible exception of the Chargers, really has warts, Matt. Yeah, I, I mean, my thing with O'Brien has been like you're saying, it's more of like it's more of an emotional response whenever I talk about him because I think this team can be a lot better. It has a Sean Watson, who's I think like a top ten talent level of quarterback. Even the stats aren't there this year uh, with the skill players they had whenever Fuller was, was healthy. The offense wasn't as good as it should have been aside from that you know, Miami game. And so it's the fact that he plays down to his opponents to win the safest way possible. Instead of just you know, complete dismantling teams, and then he comes back and it hurts him against uh, you know, the better teams that are out there and available to him. But I've always said there's even like in 15 and 16 and 17, all that, that there's something to be said about being like more competent than all the other idiots out there. And that's what he's done for you know, about – for this year and throughout his career where he's been, you know, competent enough. There's something to be said about uh, being pretty okay at something about getting everybody on the same page and running a cohesive game plan about having people want to actually play football for you and enjoy playing football for you. And uh, you know, that Mike Vrabel part of it as well. And so there's a lot of strategy decisions that he makes that uh, he should have made sooner, but he came back and changed. And there's still kind of like the underlying, you know, uh, lack of the team like hitting its full force I think on offense too that's been seen there all year but you know again there's something to be said about like being pretty good at it and you know winning games which he's been able to consistently do uh, next year I don't think it's going to go like this at all but next year they'll have the cap space and the draft capital to improve the roster at certain holes uh, so it may not even come back to bottom overall but you know this year I think the team could have been better even though I don't think their record could have been any better if that makes sense at all yeah it's it's a matter of are you competitive and you need when when I say that word competitive that's being competitive against the best teams in the league I mean it's one thing to make the playoffs I mean back you know back in the day when we made the playoffs for the first time that was exciting as I'll get out right Texans finally in the playoffs hey look Bengals we're going to steamroll them because we always beat the Bengals because they're boring and suck and Andy Dalton's terrible but 
I wish, I hope Tim listens to the podcast tonight. Um, <laughs> but, you know. I think, no, I think he just says, like, he just knows whenever you say something bad about him. <laughs> He's just like, there's a disturbance in the force, you know? He's a meerkat that pops out of the ground. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm getting a text from Tim right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was exciting. But, uh, you know, flags fly forever. I won a championship. I got one with the Astros, and that's what I want. I don't want to settle for just making the playoffs. That's, that's to me, is striving for mediocrity. I want wins. And uh, I... I that's what I want. And I think this team has got the potential to do it. You've got Romeo Cornell, who is, I think, absolutely still one of the best defensive coaches in the league. Yes, he still makes mistakes. But overall, I mean, look at the game plan he had this weekend. Uh, I think that you you uh, have that defense. And if you have a, an offense that's got a DBO around 12, then we're right there with the Chargers as being one of the best teams, overall teams in the league. But you don't. And it's, it's just because Bill O'Brien sticks to his, his game plan, his game plan instead of adjusting like we saw in 2017 where he went to Deshaun Watson's train. So, you know, it's not a matter that I hate the team. If you listen to the podcast tonight, I'm not saying everything positive about the other team and negative about the Texans. Um, it's really funny the opinions that come out that people kind of derive from what we say. But if the Texans are a good team. They should be a great team is my yeah. bottom line. Yeah, and I think kind of that's where they send me to. Like they're the – Probably the best good team out there, but they're not a great team. And I know you talk about the playoffs and some of these other teams having warts or so. I, I, I like I, the only team I think they would beat. They, they, they would even beat Baltimore, or Denver, handily though. It'd probably be a pretty close game, um, just because Houston will have trouble throw, you know throwing the ball against those teams and moving the ball against them. But overall, I think in the second round, whether they play Kansas City, Pittsburgh, New England, Houston, even if they get first round, I said Houston because I'm very dumb. Uh, I met Pittsburgh, Los Angeles, New England, Kansas City. It doesn't matter. Even they get a first round bye and they play at home. Uh, whatever happens and whoever they play in the second round, I just think it's going to be a complete you know, disaster. Unless somehow they get Baltimore or uh, Denver in the second round somehow, which could happen. Uh, and then they can kind of get their way to AFC Tower game out of nowhere. But I just, I just don't think they have the quarterback talent to play with any of those four teams. And I don't, I don't think it really matters that Kansas City can't stop the run whenever you have Patrick Mahomes and one of the best passing offenses of all time on the other side. Yeah, and I can tell you what. I, there, there are a, a couple of teams that I just do not want to play. You know, if you're, it's, it's the Chiefs, the Rams, the Chargers, the Saints, kind of the Steelers, but not really, and, and the Bears. I don't want to freaking play the Bears. Who in the right mind wants to play that team? So I think those are six teams that you can point to and say that they are easily the elites of the league. And teams like the Steelers, the Patriots, the Ravens, us, the Seahawks. Those are we're kind of in that next tier. Yeah, and I would even put New England and Pittsburgh ahead of Houston. I would leave, like I said, I would leave Houston probably around where like Seattle is. You know, like that kind of like that that third tier, I guess, if you want to make the top of the pyramid: Kansas City, Los Angeles, and New Orleans. Yeah. Maybe San Diego, too. They're never going to be the Los Angeles Chargers in my heart. They'll, they'll always be San Diego. Um, uh, I, I know this is usually the time that we preview Indy versus Houston, but we've already kind of talked for a while. We talked about that instead. And, uh, well, I assume I'll probably talk about this game later this week and on Saturday for sure as well. So you can listen and, and read and look out for that. But what's your pick for this game on Sunday as of right now? I, I'm – 
It's, I wish I could, like, put a qualification, like, for every game that we play. If one score game, then Indy wins. Yeah. If not one score game, then Houston wins. And so I wish I could put that for, like, every game the rest of the season, which I, we realize is chicken poop and weasel warding and all that thing. Oh, yeah, I checked on the chickens today. Um, <laughs> yes, I have chickens. Uh, is that, I wish I could put that, but we're playing the, the Colts at home, and I, uh, I see no reason, like – just, just because I want to plot spoil Matt is one of his questions is, have you come around the Colts defense yet? And the answer is, hell no. <laughs> they're allowing from DVOA and they have plenty of talent. Uh, no. And I'm probably wrong when I say that. That's fine. You're, you're wrong when you said it in week four. Shy. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to go. I'm going to take the Texans to win this game. And I'm going to say it's going to be – because uh, I have to go with the two-score game. If I'm going to pick the Texans, it has to be a two-score game. If I okay. pick the Colts, it's got to be a one-score game. So I'm going to say the Texans. Uh, I'm going to say Texans 26, Colts 17. Okay. I have a Indy winning 27-20. I think T.Y. Hilton has more than 200 yards receiving this game, if he stays healthy the entire game. The entire game. If he stays healthy the entire game. And I, I think Houston's going to really struggle running the ball against Indy as well, too. Yeah, Indy is – I checked on it. Not oh, shoot. Fourth and run DVOA. Fourth? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, so only uh, Chicago, Houston – New Orleans. And New Orleans ahead of them. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they have a they have good, talented young defense. You know, Darius Leonard, Anthony Walker, Al Woods, Marcus Hunt, Jabal Sheard. Danico Autry is a really good player this year. <laughs> like, I don't know what Chris Ballard has done, but he's like the ultimate hipster GM ever. Like, how he's turned these guys into good players. I have no idea how they've done it. Um Kenny Moore is really good. Malik Hooker is really good. Clayton Gathers is probably the worst player on their entire star defense. But, yeah, it's a good defense, though. I'm excited to watch him play uh, this week. They were really good against Jacksonville the weekend before, too. But, yeah, so I, I don't know. I just think he's – I think Indy's going to finally throw the ball downfield. And they'll have trouble running the ball. They're going to throw the ball like 60 times. Lex not throwing the ball downfield a whole lot. But I think Hilton will, will you know, break deep all, enough times for Indy to win this one. Yeah, and I think that's a great take. I just – I've been betting against the Texans quite a bit, so now I'm going to bet for them. We'll see what happens. And it's, it's a home game, and we've been playing really well at home, like very yeah. consistently. We've been playing above expectations at home. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, it's, I'm excited for next Sunday. I would have actually probably tried to go to the game next Sunday if the Colts beat Jacksonville because then I think the game would have mattered and meant something. But it doesn't really mean all that much now that they lost to the Jags. And so – I'll talk about it later this week, right? But it was—it was so stupid what Frank Frank did. Uh, anyways, that's the—that's the spoiler, or that's the cliffhanger. I'm leaving you on because I'm very dumb and I'm talking. I'm not writing, so I can't edit it. But anyways, thank you for listening to Red Radio tonight. Thank you for being on tonight, BFD. And my name is Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Red Radio. Maybe you listen to the show. Subscribe to it. Just—it's very easy. Uh, just subscribe to it. Never listen to it again. Just subscribe to it. Oh, woo! <laughs> there we go.
Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? <laughs> and why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.